Welcome to Conversations from the Pale Blue Dot. Today I interview philosopher Eric Baldwin. When planning is offering his models, it's, it's not an argument, really. He's trying to show that if this is true, then my beliefs are warranted. And so the question is, well, why do you think that? Remember to visit commonsenseatheism.com for more episodes and articles about God, science, and morality. Eric Baldwin is a graduate student at Purdue University focusing on epistemology and philosophy of religion. He has already published a couple papers on the epistemology of Alvin Plantinga, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you. Eric, before we talk about Plantinga, I'd love to know about your own faith journey. Were you raised religiously, and how did you get to where you are today? I was not raised religiously. When I was maybe around eight or so, my parents went back to church for a, a little bit, but then they stopped, they got divorced, and, and then they just just didn't go anymore. Maybe around 15 or 16 or so, I had a, a friend of mine, a, my best friend, who's now a pastor in Wales, actually, and he converted to Christianity through some friends of his, and then started going to church with him and some other of my friends, and youth groups, and Friday night services, Wednesday night services and got really active in the church worship bands. Didn't really start taking it very seriously until I was a sophomore. But then after high school, had some struggles and problems, started to realize that people had a lot of disagreements about various points, their young earth creationism and evolution and so on. Mm. Many of my friends responded in different ways. Some of them stopped going to church, stopped being Christians, or start, stopped claiming to be. And others went a little bit more in a fideistic route. And I, I went sort of a more of a skeptical route almost, where I, I didn't know what to think or what to do about it, so I just sort of stayed the course until I had good reason not to, to do anything. But after a while, I started feeling somewhat like Dostoevsky's Underground Man or <laughs> Freud and Marx were right about how religious belief wasn't rational and wasn't reasonable. So I went through a pretty dark time of feeling like I lost my faith. And, hmm. But fast forwarding a little bit, I took a philosophy religion class then that kind of turned me around and opened my eyes. One of the persons we studied was Aquinas, and I was not flabbergasted, but <laughs> somewhat shocked or amazed or whatnot. It, there was somebody that was this articulate or this rational and reasonable and, and argued and so on. Uh, and so it made me realize that there's a lot of people that do have faith that are rational and reasonable. Mm -hmm. So that got me back into taking uh, my Christianity to be substantive, and, and I'm still struggling with the faith and reason dichotomy, and sometimes I feel more like Peter following at a distance, you know, or sometimes I feel like there's a guy in the gospel saying something like, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Well, I can identify with a lot of that story, actually. When I lost my faith, I felt, you know, very sad and like I had really lost something important, and uh, I felt quite empty for a while before I... Yeah discovered uh, that there are millions of atheists around the world that have plenty of purpose and morality and everything that I thought that I had lost. Uh, and I also right. cried out with those words from the Bible, Lord, help my unbelief. I really wanted to recover my faith. But for me, it didn't happen. And for you, it did. Yeah. So you've done quite a bit of work on Alvin Plantinga, who... I don't know, I feel it would be safe to say is probably the most important philosopher of religion in the 20th century. Yeah, it's fair to say. Him and Swinburne, I think, but, but both those guys are huge and, and influential. But probably Plantinga is more popular and, and more, more read, I think. 
let's talk about Warrant in particular. Okay. Could you briefly explain to us what Plantinga's talking about first in the 80s and then now in, in Warranted Christian Belief when he talks about Warrant and the Christian faith? Sure. I think it's helpful to think of it in three stages, maybe. The first being a book he actually wrote in the late 60s, God and Other Minds. Sure, yeah. And in that book... I like the part where he takes down all the usual theistic arguments. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because he's, he's not a fan of natural theology, you know. Uh, but the reason for that is he thinks that natural theology is motivated by classical foundationalism and evidentialism. Right. And he thinks that that's not going to work. So the interesting thing he argues in, in that book is, okay, well, these arguments aren't going to work. Um, not only do the natural theology arguments don't work, um, arguments for existence in other minds don't work either. And the common link there is this commitment to a classical foundationalist view or something along the sorts that if I don't have evidence for the belief, it's not rational for me to believe it. Uh, foundationalism, basically it's the view that we have to start with an appropriate body of beliefs that are properly basic. Uh, to take an example, Descartes, his method was to doubt everything that could be doubted, try to end up with an indubitable foundation on which he could build everything else. Through that method, he came to the idea of the cogito ergo sum. Uh, I think that for him, he thought that there's something indubitable about that, incorrigible, I can't doubt that. From that, he generalized to the idea that, well, why do I know that? Well, it's clear and distinct. I can't doubt that. And so those types of beliefs are, are appropriate foundations for our other beliefs. Mathematical truths, obvious logical truths, or things like that counted among the, the foundational beliefs. Well, and then from the properly basic beliefs, we try to derive the rest of our knowledge, right. and that's the idea of foundationalism. But then if we try to use foundationalism, which is an intuitive view to a lot of people, it actually turns out difficult to use foundationalism to establish the existence of other minds, which just seems obvious right. that other people have minds. Right. So it's not so much that, I mean, Planica doesn't think that belief in other minds is irrational, of course, but he just doesn't think that the arguments support that view if you don't already accept that view. So one of the arguments in God and Other Minds is the argument from analogy. Oh, when I poke him, he, he gets hurt or something like that. Or, or I talk to him, he acts just like me. The sorts of interaction that, that we take to be indicative of other minds, that can't prove uh, that other minds exist. Skeptical arguments show that it doesn't follow deductively, and one might think it follows inductively, and people tend to be convinced by such arguments, at least um, dialectically. But they have holes in them. And the idea is that, again, the, if you don't already accept the view, those arguments aren't going to convince you of the view. The arguments for existence in God are like the arguments for the belief in other minds. They don't establish or prove their conclusions. However, belief in other minds is obviously reasonable and rational. So... By parity of reasoning, belief in God can be reasonable, rational, and not crazy. And his middle period articles there that are really influential, reason and belief in God, but there's also his belief in God rational and his belief in God basic. And those and other uh, articles of that period, he spans and builds on the idea that you don't need evidence and arguments in order to believe in God by sort of fleshing out or, or providing more of a positive idea about how that goes. And he, he makes more use of the idea that belief in God is properly basic in certain conditions and tries to narrow down and explain what those conditions would be. But what he proposes in this period is something along these lines. As Christians, he says, we find ourselves in situations where 
belief in God is appropriate or reasonable response to the situation we find ourselves in. So when you have the sorts of experiences such as, oh, it seems to me that God's speaking to me, or it seems to me that God created all of this, uh, those beliefs are properly basic. In the same way, again, that the belief in other minds or belief that my memories are accurate or basic intuitive beliefs and so on, there's a parity there. Those beliefs immediately entail that God exists. So it's not as if you go straight to God exists is properly basic. It's that you have various everyday common sense type beliefs that immediately and obviously entail the existence of God. So he's still not talking about warrant yet, though. And mm-hmm. Sometimes he, he talks about justified belief and so on. And there's a few articles where there's a transition there, but I'm not exactly sure just when he starts introducing the concept of warrant. But it definitely comes up in uh, 93 with the first two volumes of the Warrant trilogy, Warrant, the Current Debate, and Warrant and Proper Function. He's getting more and more externalist. Mm -hmm. And I should pause you for just a second and ask you to explain what it means to say that Planning Good was getting more and more externalist. Right. It's helpful to back up to Descartes. For Descartes, a belief foundational had to be clear and distinct. It had to be something that you were mentally aware of, and it was in virtue of your being aware of the future of your belief that belief was uh, sufficiently justified to count as knowledge. So internalists will say that if a belief is to be justified or warranted, as the case may be, it has to be something that you're aware of. So they posit what Michael Bergman calls an awareness requirement on justification. There's something, some feature of a belief that contributes to the justification of your belief. You have to be aware of that feature internally. But externalists say, no, I can have a justified belief or warranted belief even if I don't have access to that which makes it justified or that which makes it warranted. Most people think that the internalist approach has some serious problems, so we need to fix it up. So one way to do it is to drop this awareness requirement and say that it's some sort of causal thing. Alvin Goldman might be the first contemporary epistemologist to suggest something like that, that what makes our belief justified is that it's produced by a reliably functioning cognitive process that's true-thinged. Plantinga's epistemology in the warrant volumes takes off from that approach to epistemology. So warrant in this proper function is one externalist view of warrant. It takes sort of the core insight of reliabilism, but Plantinga says reliabilism alone isn't going to work. But he says that a belief is warranted if and only if four conditions are met. The cognitive faculties that are involved in the production of the belief are properly functioning. It's the first requirement. Uh, the second requirement is an environmental condition, that there, has, there can't be anything screwy going on in your environment to handle Gettier cases. For example, it might be that something in your environment is deceiving you or tricking you, and you only have a, a true belief, but because of a going wrong in the environment, a, a good case is a fake barn example. You're driving around in the Midwest, and you see a fake barn, uh, and you go, oh, there's barns around here. It's true that there's barns around here, but you happen to be looking at the fake barn, and so there's something amiss in your environment, and you're forming a belief on an improper ground. Uh, so your belief isn't justified, right. we want to say. You know, I, I come from Minnesota, and foreigners were always confused about our fake barn countries. <laughs> never believed me when I told them, but uh, that's a big problem. Uh, so this second condition in, in planning is warrant says, well, that sort of thing can't be going on. So whether or not that's going on isn't something I can have internal access to, right? I can't yeah. always verify whether or not something's fake or not. Okay, so going on to the third one, the requirement is that my cognitive faculties are truth-aimed. My design plan is aimed at true belief, and a design plan would be the set of cognitive faculties that I have. 
And then the fourth is that there's a statistical objectively high probability that a belief produced by my design plan will be true. Well, yeah, so Planiga is saying that a belief is warranted if that belief is produced by properly functioning cognitive faculties. That's number one. Number two, if it's functioning in an environment that's appropriate right. for those cognitive faculties to work properly. Three, if the cognitive faculties are operating according to a design plan that's successfully aimed at truth. And four, kind of the same thing, that uh, those right. cognitive faculties are statistically reliably aimed at truth. Right. Point of clarification, it's easy to get confused about the difference between warrant and justification. To see that more clearly, we might want to back up to the account of justification that Planiga attacks that's associated with classical foundationalism, yeah. namely the justified true belief account. Very influential view that people held for thousands of years. <laughs> uh, the idea there is that you have knowledge when you have a justified belief, and it's true. However, in the mid-60s or so, Gunnam uh, Gettier comes along and basically gives something like the barn example I gave earlier. That you can have a true belief that is caused by something going awry, and the belief would be justified, too. You know, you, you look at this fake barn, it sure looks like a barn. You know, you, you don't have any reason to doubt that it's a barn. So, belief's justified, it's true. So, it seems to satisfy the justified true belief requirements for knowledge. Here, I want to break and reflect on Gettier. How awesome would it be to be Gettier? He could have published that one three-page paper and never published anything else, and he would still be <laughs> incredibly famous. And yep. the word Gettier would be, you know, a verb in philosophy circles forever. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, that's somehow just not fair to have that much of an impact in three pages. Yeah, and it's funny. I'm at the Notre Dame Center for Philosophy and Religion this year doing a, a visiting graduate thing, and I was fortunate enough to sit in on Planning's last class before he retires. He was a colleague of Gettier, and apparently Gettier just loved to come up with counterexamples all of the time to anything. He'd come up to counterexamples to counterexamples, counterexamples to those counter-counterexamples, and that he'd just go on and on. And that's what he liked to do. And he only published that paper, actually, and people forced him to, to so he could get tenure. He didn't want to do it. Uh, so he just kind of shot it off, and there you go. And he published one other thing, very small, but that was it. That is funny. <laughs> to be Gettier. Oh, well, I, you'll have to settle for being Eric Baldwin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, th I think you're, you've got good prospects. You've Thank written you. some pretty interesting stuff already. So getting back to Planiga, we've talked about what warrant is, and we were talking about what justification was before I rudely interrupted you. So again, what's the difference between justification and warrant? Oh, right, right. So now we've got the idea of the justified true belief idea of knowledge. What people started to do after Gettier was, we need a fourth condition on knowledge now. Uh, the JTB account's not going to work, and people posited all sorts of different conditions. Some people thought we could kind of fix up the JTB account. Some people did some really uh, creative stuff. Anyway, what Planiga proposed is, well, we want this fourth condition. I'm going to call it warrant. <laughs> and, and I'm just going to define warrant as that property of a belief, enough of which is sufficient for knowledge. Uh, the linchpin, if you will, the, the, the crucial thing to, to want is warrant. Because mm -hmm. that's what's going to make the difference between true belief counts as knowledge and true belief that doesn't count as knowledge. Justification isn't going to do it for Planiga. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about Planiga's account of warrant and that it is all about 
cognitive faculties successfully aimed at truth operating properly in an environment conducive to their function how does he get from that to saying that belief in god is warranted right so the way it goes is his main hero i suppose is um john calvin who wrote that we have something called a, a sense of the divine a sensus divinitatis it's called mm-hmm. quoting calvin he says this there's within the human mind, and indeed, by natural instinct, an awareness of divinity, God himself implanted in all men, an understanding of his divine majesty. What Plantinga does in Warning Christian Belief is basically say that part of the human design plan is that we have special faculty or cognitive process that satisfies those conditions on warrant. And so then the next move then is say, okay, what is this faculty? How does it work? Earlier I called it the sensitive and because that's what Calvin calls it, what Plantinga calls it too, but in Warranted Christian Belief, he fleshes that out a little bit more and says that what we've got is a sort of a two-tiered process, uh, and the two things that are involved are faith and uh, what he calls the internal instigation of the Holy Spirit. There's a, oh gosh, what's that passage? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Uh, that sort of idea is, is what's behind that. And what he calls this is the Aquinas-Calvin model. So, so far we have what we would call the standard Aquinas-Calvin model, that is, belief in theism. You don't get to Christian belief yet. When you are a Christian, though, you will get specifically Christian belief from out of the scriptures. So you have what's called the extended uh, Aquinas-Calvin model, which is meant to cover specifically Christian beliefs about God. Examples of specifically Christian beliefs, Jesus was God, Jesus is reconciling the, the world to himself, various sorts of things like that. You know, these sorts of things aren't going to be things that you get apart from Revelation. So they're going to be a part of the extended model. And maybe I should say a little bit more about what a model is. A model is going to be a set of propositions that, if it's true, so will the target model of the proposition or propositions. So, in other words, if there's a God... And if he created us with cognitive faculties that we do have, and if they're aimed at truth and so on, then my beliefs in God will be warranted. Uh, Not an argument that theism or or Christianity is true, but a hypothetical claim according to this model. Again, if the model is true, then it follows that I have warranted belief in God or warranted belief in the Christian God. Uh So so that's how the models are supposed to work. So if we tie this back into his account of warrant, we see that one of the cognitive faculties that we have, according to Plantiga, is a sensus divinitatis. And when that's, you know, properly functioning, and it's in an environment that's working well, and because God designed it to be aimed at truth about God, therefore, if all that's true, then Christian belief would be warranted, according to his account of warrant. Right, right. And then one other important caveat, perhaps, uh, you, you can't have a defeater for all of this. Remember, we were talking about Gettier cases in the barns and all. I have a defeater for my belief, the thing I'm looking at the barn, if somebody tells me, hey, most of the barns around here are fake barns. You're driving through fake barn country right now. <laughs> you know, and so I could be looking at a real barn, but I have a reason to take it not to be a real barn. So my belief is no longer going to be justified. Yeah, whether or not I accept Planet's account of warrant, I can think of a lot of defeaters that seem plausible to me. But you've written specifically about uh, what we might call a defeater that comes from religious pluralism. Right. Basically, how I argue is you have an internal rationality defeater that is a reason to 
that think that your belief is false, then your belief won't be warranted anymore. Uh, and so I say that if there's other religions that can make use of the same sort of models uh, that Planning does, say they have analogs of uh, the standard model, and then they go and extend them into different uh, creedal beliefs about God, you know, say Islam, there's no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his prophet, or forms of Hinduism say that say Atman is Brahman, uh, Judaism, various uh, particular ways of uh, precisifying or making more specific uh, theistic belief, well, then the Jew or the Muslim and the Christian and the uh, Hindu might be attracted to this whole Plantingan approach, accept the basic idea of the standard model, think it's true, and accept Plantinga's account of warrant, everything about it. But then when it comes to which beliefs about God they think are actually warranted because they have different extensions of that model, you've got four different mutually exclusive and incompatible ways of extending that model. And I basically argue that if you're in that position, you have a reason to think that whatever model you're in, your beliefs are actually false. Uh, so therefore, you have an internal rationality feeder, I say, for believing that your uh, beliefs about God are warranted. And how would you even respond to that without just being special pleading for your own religion and just say, well, I just know that mine is true and that all those other people, even though they're using the same model as I am, uh, they're just plain wrong. How, how would you respond to your critique? Well, the idea would be, again, that when planning is offering his models, it's, it's not an argument, really. He's trying to show that if this is true, then my beliefs are warranted. And so the question is, well, why do you think that, right? Why should I think that my model is true? So what he, he does is he makes use of his, his general overall strategy, which is, well, it seems to me to be true. I've thought about reasons to disbelieve it. I looked at the evidence and the arguments, and I'm not convinced. It still seems to me to be true. And I believe it's in warrant proper function. He comes up with a case uh, based on memory where he has a vivid memory of, say, uh, going mountain climbing, and he, he likes to mountain climb. And some of his colleagues, for nefarious reasons, accuse him of doing some dastardly deed <laughs> at the time he's out mountain climbing. And they bring evidence, they bring all this doctored stuff, and they say, look, you did this thing, you stole the money. Uh, so here's a bunch of evidence, here's a bunch of people presenting the evidence, here's, you know, the deans involved, you know, everybody's on your case. You know? <laughs> and you're like, well, wait a minute, uh, I didn't do this, I was out doing this. And the idea there is that my defeater can be responded to in, in something along those lines. Uh, so that's one move, and that's, I think, the best move. The best move is to try to say, look, the defeater, I never get it in the first place. If you get to the theater, you got a problem because you have to use evidence or arguments to get yourself out of that. And then Christian belief is no longer basic, which is really what Planigo wants to argue. So it all hinges on whether or not this defeater really happens, whether or not you really get it. And the funny thing is different people, you know, people I've talked to, colleagues, friends, and professors, and respond differently to whether or not you get the defeater, whether or not you should get to the theater. So this whole debate about whether or not this is a defeater brings to the foreground a lot of interesting questions about when and why you get a defeater. Well, I think we've opened a pretty big Pandora's box and yeah. we're not <laughs> even going to shut it. Um, but I will, of course, be linking to a lot of these articles and things in, in the podcast notes. Well, Eric, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. I've enjoyed doing it.